Well, kia ora guys, Brad here, and welcome to another Deep Dive on the podcast, episode 79 today, and I got to sit down with a meteorologist. His name is Chris Brandolino, and have you ever wondered things like, how does the weather actually work? You know when you open your phone and you just check and it says 100% or 80% chance of rain, like like how do they know that? What does it actually mean? How can they predict weather in seven days' time, 10 days' time? Is climate change real? Global warming, what's going on there? I got to ask all those good questions and Chris Brandolino, who's a meteorologist here in New Zealand, he's based in New Zealand, originally from the United States, so we talked about that journey as well, a bit of basketball chat, a bit of fantasy football chat, where it had it all, so lock in to episode 79 with Chris Brandolino. I've got to, see I'm not tall enough. Yeah, no, I've had that problem my whole life. <laughs> just yeah. not tall enough. That's the thing, eh? When you're not tall enough <coughs> to reach the microphones, that's how you know you... Um, and then and we both play basketball. Yeah. Well, one of us plays. <laughs> I'm not sure if you call what I do playing. Hey, you are... <laughs> hey, mate. Last week, that first, I actually rewatched the game on Glory League. I, I've never been able to watch them. You don't get an email. I do not. I know what you're talking about because my son played in the um, primary school league. Yeah. And they would send links... And you can watch the video, and I would show him once in a while, like, hey, you see what you're doing here. But I never get that with this particular league. Well, do you, you, do you not get your emails on how many points you scored? No. Oh. Do well, you the, want, do even you if I did, it'd be probably, it'd be no content email. Like, did you forget to send an attachment? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I no can attachment. tell you right now, my friend, you scored. I think four points. I think, oh, it might have been, I think. It, season high. Season high. I think you scored six. I think you scored six. You're being generous, but thank you. No, no. Well, you know. I def- took three shots. Hey, six, <laughs> hey, hey, six out of, um, we scored 88 last week. That was, a, that was a lot of points. Oh, mate. Piled on. Hey, but Chris, man, first yeah. of all, before we get even into it. Yeah. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome Kia ora and thank you. Yeah, it's good to, um, I was just saying, telling you off air that uh, my first ever guest in person. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't in person. I'll take that back. But it was from, he was from Texas. Really? Yeah. What's the connection yeah. with that? Um, well, he, he just was in New Zealand. Uh, yeah. He's a friend of mine. Right, okay. been in New Zealand for years. Yeah. Um, lives in Tauranga now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my first guest was from Texas. And what was that experience like? A Texan, first time, was well, it everything big? Yeah, well, I mean, he, I mean, even just the way like, knowing him as a friend, it was always like, he's always, y'all. Yeah. Y'all. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. y'all doing? You know? Say Mam and Sir quite a bit. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I actually worked with him for a few years um um in my previous job. But yeah, he's a good fella. Thomas Liverett, shout out, mate, if you're listening. But nice. Um for people that kind of don't know you, mate, yep. Chris. Yep. Just do you want to just maybe quickly introduce yourself, yeah. who you are, um, what you do? Yeah, lo- love to. So Chris Brandolino, um I've been I'm a dual citizen now. Since so, when? Uh, oh, since December. Oh, not even. Coming up on a year. Okay. So yes. arrived here in, 20, in early 2014 um, and started working as him. So I'm a meteorologist by training, by education, by work experience. Did mostly about 16 years in the States doing TV weather. So that was fun. Um, enjoyed, I mean, I've always liked the gab, always liked to be a bit of a ham and I really liked the weather. So, I mean, that was a great marriage, those three things coming together. And so I did TV for several years, went to Australia, went to Perth and, uh, worked for the Bureau of Meteorology. Didn't do any TV weather there. It was more, um, working, you know, kind of a, your typical 
you know, desk job as a meteorologist, if that makes sense. Mm. And then went back to the States, got lowered back into TV, did that for a couple, about four years, did a co-host. I was a co-host of a talk show as well. So I really learned to um, be more extemporaneous when it comes to conversations because when you're a TV presenter, you're talking to nobody but a camera and a green wall. And that can be, <laughs> yeah. when you're looking at it, that can be kind of odd. And then that lifestyle, just quite frankly, Brad, got old, man. Like it just, um, waking up at 1 a.m., had a third child, going to bed at like 6, 6.30 in the evening, but basically a real, how do I say this politely, a, a real Richard Cranium, mm. you know, real, you know, dickhead because... At six o'clock, when we're having dinner, kids, you know, three-year-olds, five-year-olds, six, they drop food, they make noise. And for me, six o'clock in the evening, that's like 1030 at night for yeah, most you're people. you're ready to conk out. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to spin down, but I really had to spin up. Yeah. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't, you know, I, there's a thing to this day, if my kids were here, if I if I said stress face, those two words, they immediately know what it is because it's me at the table going like this, holding my forehead in the palm of my hand as I look down with the eyes closed and then just clearly uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so I needed a change and uh, came to New Zealand. And did you, because in terms of New Zealand, did, well, out of all the countries you could have picked, I guess it was there. What was your kind of connections here? Were you, did you just? <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a it's a good question, man. Because I was familiar because of that Perth experience. Well, I was gonna say because I mean we're the little brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I, I learned when I came to New Zealand, Australia is the West Island. <laughs> you know, the North Island, South Island, that's the West yeah. Island. And it's funny because it was that experience that kind of that opened our eyes and kind of made us feel comfortable with Australasia in general. But I think that was a double-edged sword because uh, we thought Australians would be very much like Kiwis, and we found out they weren't. Yeah. Australians and Americans, I think, more are more aligned, a bit more, a bit more bravado, a bit more outgoing, and I think Kiwis and Palms, you know, the British, mm. are more kind of akin or more aligned with one another. Not bad or good, is just more reserved into themselves. And so we came here, and like I remember my wife very distinctly telling me how her day went it was quite early like we had been here only a couple months straight into auckland was it yeah man straight into auckland and um she's like you know i was talking to this other mom and i was saying hey we should get you know the two kids together for a play date they're you know they're kind of yapping away this is like at school pickup or whatever (laughs) and sarah's like let me let me get your phone number your cell phone number and the lady the mom provided it then Sarah's like, you would have thought she would have asked for my number. And mm-hmm. and that didn't happen. And all of our friends or acquaintances, our first couple of years, weren't Kiwis. They were all expats from other countries. Right, yeah, right. So, it, and I think part of that, quite frankly, was we had built up an expectation in our head that, oh, it's New Zealand. Mm. It is like Australia. It's not. Um, I mean, there's some similarities, but there's obviously many differences and they, uh, you know, even nowadays I can distinguish between the accent. Whereas when I came here, you couldn't tell. Nah, man. Really? Cause I feel like we sound so different, but you're right. You do. You Kiwis, well, now well, you we know. do, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do, uh, I say we now cause I do wear two hats. Hey, you are wearing two hats. That's it. Yeah, welcome to the club. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into the front door and I finally did. It took a while. Um, th- yeah. thankfully they didn't reach their quotas on Americans, immigration, New Zealand. Yeah, true. Um, 
yeah so so it's so coming here was um was definitely the, the reason we came here my wife was intrigued with new zealand having lived in australia it was it was a good opportunity in fact i had a chance to hit, take my old job back in australia we couldn't i was offered the job didn't take it for a couple of reasons and i knew i was interviewing for this job and i said well let's see what happens here and it, and it, and it worked out um Mm. Yeah, when I mean, we're still here. So. And here you are, 2014, you said, right? No. Yeah, this is January 2014. So you are eight years later. Well, almost, yeah, nine nearly, yeah. Nine years later, yeah. Twenty, yeah. Loving uh, it. Yeah. Oh, and I, I know this is like a um, quite a um, obvious question to ask. Mm. What factor, if any, and you might not be a fantasy watching guy in terms of fantasy movies, I'm talking, but what part did Lord of the Rings? play in anything zero i've never seen the movie you've never seen the movie no how did you get your citizenship i don't well look <laughs> can we Chris, can we can we edit this part out no this uh, is this is going on the trailer oh, <laughs> um look i'm not a huge my wife's into lord of the rings um okay, like the, your wife's seen them yeah my kids the hobbit you know oh, you all pass. that that's a pass but like i'm just not a big movie fantasy type uh, person i, I don't I watch a lot of documentaries. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a bit of a, I'm bit a, bit of a, da- of a bit of a David Edinburgh fella. Yeah, I like he's. I mean, legendary. Um, yes. I like movies. I like mob movies and things like that. Yeah. Those are look, man. I can't any kind of crime, any kind of like um, mob movie. You have me right there. But other stuff, yeah, not so much. But yeah, a lot of people who come visit us, they want to go to Hobbiton because and you and here's one. And thing. I've been now. And guess what? I haven't. Oh, really? I've never been to Hobbiton. So I feel like... They may, the they may revoke your... <laughs> yeah, they've probably given mine to you. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, I know. I've always <laughs> wanted to go to Hobbiton, but I think it's almost... Do you know what? People come to New Zealand and think, and like yourself, yeah. and think, mate, beautiful country. Yeah, yeah. Mate, like you, you might even be over in the States and guys, holiday destination, let's go here. Yeah. Kiwis, we're so desperate to get out of New Zealand, yep. myself included. Let's go to the islands. Let's go overseas. Yep. I'm going to Europe in December. You know, nice. all these places. But uh, we forget our own backyards. just beautiful. You it, actually forget that and you take it for granted. And it's like it. that, I think, a lot of places, to be honest. Like a lot of people in the States, I forget the stat. They don't have a passport. They grew up, or beg your pardon, they live like some stat like within two or three hours like of where they grew stat, up. Yeah. And... And I think what kind of accentuates that reality in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is the fact that it's two big rocks in the middle of the Southwest Pacific. Mm. And if you wanted to, and if you wanted to expand her, your horizons and see the world, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Sure, everybody has that mentality. But I think um, having, you know, been in lockdown with COVID and you know not been able to, like everyone else, not being able to really have the option to to explore and leave that really kind of that really underscored like wow shit if we can't leave then um it does it can be tight it can tighten up a little bit maybe um yeah i don't know that's just this is my observation definitely i mean even even now myself booking trips to europe right i've just gone you know what two years of (laughs) being parked up inside you know yeah uh let's go out there and we're going to europe uh mate we're going to all over we're going to uh, germany and then into uh, into the Czech Republic, Prague. Christmas is in Prague this year. Nice. And then down down into Austria. You going to Italy? Yes. Yeah. Nice. New Year's is in Venice. Oh. And then up into the man. Dolomites, and then down Venice, uh, down Italy. So it's going to be beautiful. But my original, our original pick, yeah, of destination was the States. 
We had it all sorted out. We Have you been know. before? Love to go. Never been. Because oh. as we both know, we both context for listeners and Kevin Lynch. Shout out to you for um, what what uh, getting us getting us together. Not just on the podcast, but on the basketball yeah, team. Man. So we play basketball together. Yes, uh, Horizon Hawks. We're Shout seven. out. What are we right now? Three and th- no. I think we're five hundred. Uh, Maybe a game above. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, mate. We had a yeah. We had a few embarrassing losses. Well, no, it was the start of the year, and it was like that last season. Getting off topic here, mm. where we were kind oh, this of podcast was no topic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, good. <laughs> so we're back on the main road. That never left. Um, I think early on, like last season, I'm using air quotes here. Yeah. Um, we had a rough start, and I think we were this, 0 and four. Yeah, and we were zero and two this season. So we I were. think. You know, I think we just gotta you know gotta pick at the right time, Brad. Slow starters, eh? Yeah. Or I mean, hey, I've shared this story once on the podcast. Um, the story of us making with a I don't know how it came up with another guest, but the Horizon Hawks making the grand final last season. Oh how I missed glorious that. Was I was that? in Fungamata. Oh no, I was in the States, beg your pardon. Wait, I was in the States. Did you miss the final? Yes, sir. I missed the final too. Yes. But you were in the semi? Correct. Yeah, no, so I yeah, I shared the glory yeah. semi. Yeah, we lost the final. <laughs> Yeah. We'll talk about the semi though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the semi-final. I mean, we were this. Uh, you know, I mean, even me. I hadn't played basketball for about five years. How long had it been since you played? Oh, m- more than that, easily. Like eight. And the last time you were playing properly, didn't you have a bad ankle injury? Oh, uh, yeah. Look, this is. Thank you for bringing this up because this is an opportunity for me to really. Yeah, all the Horizon Hawks. Yeah, fans out oh, there. Oh man, like just let people know about my ankle and the the, <laughs> the, the struggles I've had. No. I mean, like, I've played hoops all growing up, more sandlot ball, you know, just in the playground. Nothing ever formal or, or like, or like you know, like CYO, like in the States, that's Catholic youth, or yeah. it's big, like, for basketball, or kind of like, you know, um, these, these um, leagues and things like that. It was all sandlots. And I go to, go to college, go to university, playing in a men's league, and I just sprain my ankle super bad. Never happened before. Real swollen, big black and blue, get in the air at cats. And that really was my fate because I had since then all these kind of tweaks and wide ranging ankle injuries that just dogged me. And I had the proverbial straw was, um, in New Zealand, I went for a run like an idiot checking my phone in the dark and I stepped on the edge of the footpath oh. where the grass is and it just turned it and it never healed. So yeah. going through all the, like the physios and this is like, I'm talking, I'm talking like two or three years of like, you know, really trying to solve the problem. And eventually they're like, look, I went to this orthopedic. He's like, you're going to, they did an ankle replacement. They basically cut me here. Where I'm pointing to the area below my knee and they took out some hamstring. Yeah. They harvested it from the back of my leg and they put it in my ankle. And that basically, because it was so loose because it had been yeah. stretched so many times, the tendon, it was, imagine, you know, it's asparagus season right now as we're recording this. Yeah, yeah, imagine yeah. A, a, like a bunch of asparagus with the rubber bands around them, yeah, yeah. but the rubber band being too loose. Yes. It just couldn't hold shit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had to put something in there that was tighter. And they, and, and so they did. And I mean, I still have some pain and stuff, but it's stable. Yeah. So anyway, that's my ankle story. And, and now we're playing hoops every week for the Horizon Hawks. Yeah. And what I love about that is that we were a team of, as I say, I would say half of our team hadn't played for years. Yes. And the other, not half, but third or yep, quarter. Good chunk of them. You know, um, are young bucks. You know, we've got some young bucks. Balling all the time. Um, yeah. And, and so here we are in the C league. And I'm not going to lie. When I got to, asked to play in C league, I was like, oh, great. This would be great. You know. A little bit cruisy. <laughs> yeah. First game, didn't we lose by 45 oh, points or something? It, it was a slaughter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they almost had the mercy rule. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll behind the baseline. Right now. Yeah. 
But you know, I think the fact that we made turned it around and made a semi final, and then in the semi final, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, we bet the top of the table team. We only just snuck in seven and seven, I think. Beat the top of the table team that had beaten us by sixteen both times, and. That semi-final, my flatmate came to watch that. That semi-final was out of this world. It eh? was. We're oh, playing them tonight, later tonight. That's the that's guys we're playing. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay. <laughs> but um, wasn't that awful? And that, that was. It, it was just like. I remember playing. I remember we all played it really well. We all came together. It was, what stuck out for me was defense. And I'm always, you know, I try to find a way where I can contribute. Typically, it's not offense. It's defense. So, I pay attention to when our defense, I think, is doing well. And I thought our defense played really well and came together um, that, that that evening. Yeah. Can I tell you a story about – so when, yeah, I, when I was in Perth, um, I played in the men's league there, and it was through work. And never had played ball overseas. And so for the first, like – for the first, like, two or three games, like, there was a, a few times, like, I get these whistles. I'm like, what the – like <laughs> – I was getting called for three-second violation, but because the way the three-second lane is configured if, with, FIFA, with international rules yeah. is that it's it's kind of this um, irregular – it's almost like a cone, where, and it gets real wide underneath the, the basket, and it gets a little narrow toward the free-throw line. Yep. In the States, it's just a rectangle. It's, right. So I was getting called – because I thought I would be out of it, out of the, and no. So that was a, that was a learning. <laughs> and the other one was no one played man. Yeah, zone. And I didn't had no idea. And I we and I, I it was like our first game of the year, and we're down, and it's like I don't know a minute or two left, and I'm like, guys, and I I won't repeat the curse words, <laughs> but I'm like I'm like blank this blank blank. Yeah. Let's play man, and they're like no. I'm like what are you t-? like I. So the next day I had to talk. To the colleague, he organized the league, and he basically explained, "Look, everyone's taught to play zone when they're in when they're in school." I'm like, "You're kidding me!" Yeah. So anyway, no idea that zone. I'm glad we play zone now because I'm 48. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, and you don't complain and, these days, and I'm not complaining, bro. <laughs> so if we're playing half court, I would definitely want to play man, but full court. Well, zone. I do know, um, and I don't know how many of our Horizon Hawks alumni will listen into this, but um, whenever Derek suggests we go to man, I'm yeah. always trying to look at who's keen to uh, veto that idea and second with me. <laughs> yeah, I'll be up there for the yeah. record with you. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, I'll do it for like a minute or two, but like any kind of extended, uh, it's like... Mm. And the funny thing is, D- Derek's our manager, and he always says that when he's on the sideline. Have you noticed that? Yeah. He yeah, 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 yeah. And he yeah. suggests this yeah. big man yeah. as yeah. he's on the court. Yeah. For some reason, he's not dripping with sweat, huffing and puffing, <laughs> making that, that very good suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I love it. I don't know how we got to this track of basketball, but, I mean, that is how we met. But I do want to know, um, you, you know, you came from the States. Yep. Um, and, look, I'm keen to talk about um, what you do with your meteorology and all that stuff. Sure. But just the fact that you came from the United States, you've lived there. That's how we got there. I think I said I was going to go visit. Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were planning to go to San Fran and because oh, I'm a sporty, mate. I, I love NFL. I love um, uh, I love basketball. I love um, football. I, I, all of it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The yeah. only one I've never gotten into is baseball, to be honest. It um, takes a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's somewhat analogous, as you can imagine, to cricket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cricket. Love cricket. Yeah. yeah. So I've, uh, it's your version, eh? But, you know... Yeah, I'd love to go to the States. And we were going to go to San Fran and then fly to New York because I'm quite, I'm into theater. I love my theater, believe really? it or not. Oh, so I'd nice. Like check out Broadway and nice. get Nice. Oh, that would, dude, you'll get, it's a, listen, man, um, when you go, let me know. Um, 
I'm not going to claim to know every um, <laughs> American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you know the best places to go, but I know some places in New York. I was when I, I was there in July. Uh, I have really good friends in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, shout out Park Slope. Um, they um, they do quite well for themselves and are in the media. And I was vis- visiting them, and it was just look. There are so many cool. You won't go wrong. There's so many friggin' like just cool places. Um, See, yeah, I feel, I feel, and please correct me if you yeah. think if you if you disagree. But I feel like maybe in the late in recent years, I feel like America has gotten this negative cloud yeah. a little bit around it. You know, it's and, some, some of it's probably fair, Brad. Yeah, if I can be honest. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Explain what you mean. Oh, I, th- I think. Well, I think it's just. I think it's trickled. I think it's expanded beyond the U.S. to the rest of the world, you know, like it or not, I think the U.S. has a significant influence on Western culture in terms of what's popular, in terms of trends, in terms of a lot of things. Better or worse, I think, you know, whatever, you can have your view. I think that, you know, a fact's a fact. Yeah. Well, at least it's my fact. <laughs> um, and so the U.S. has become very polar. Um, and I think we're seeing that kind of emanate and spread out to other parts of the world. If you're not left, you got to be right. If you're not this, you got to be that. Yeah. Life's a lot of gray. And so I think, and I also think what's part, what part of it too is, so I think that, I don't think that is the issue. I think that is an issue. I think part of the equation as well is everyone likes to pick on kind of like, um, you know, not not the big guy, but the, you know, the, the loudest person Escape, or... There's a scapegoat. Yeah, yeah, look, everyone likes to see, like, I don't know, I, there's an old cliche where I think if um, some people, because of their success, if you use a, an analogy such as a person, if a person is successful or if a person is well-liked, there'll certainly be a, a segment of the population who really can't wait to see that person do a bad job at something right. and then call them out. The gotcha. Yeah. And that's part of the culture. I think it's the gotcha culture. The cancel culture. Yeah, can, yeah there's, so there's, I think there's a lot of, I think a lot of people become very um, polar in their views. And I think um, because of the issues I talked about with, so I think that's part of it. Yeah. But I mean, do, what do you, I mean, do, as an observer, have you seen it get gotten worse in terms of? I don't think so. I, th- I just think it's that thing of, you know, the American dream and uh the the influence the influence of its politics across the world yep you know i feel like i feel like because of that people don't say often you know i'm going on a trip um i'm going people say i'm going to bali going to aussie going to europe going to noe in europe but you don't often anymore like it does happen obviously but um the amount the amount of people that will say i'm going to do do a tour of the, the u.s it's not as not as commonly said these so days. So you think it's you think you you'd hear it more 10, 20 years ago. Potentially, that's just yeah. my outside observation. Sure. But in saying that, mm-hmm. I would love to go. I'd love to go. Like I just said, I'd love to go to New York. I'd love to go to San Fran. I'd love to, I'd love to check out LA. I'd love to go to Florida. Miami heats my team. I was born in Florida. Hey, so, so that's, what, that's that's where yeah. I was going to ask you. So where did you grow up in, in the states? Oh, uh, but my my whole family basically is from upstate New York. So. Um, even though I was born in Florida, University of Florida, Gainesville. Um, so you know uh, Rashid, our quasi teammate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, Florida Gators or something. Yeah, well, that's where I was born. Ah. I was, and they're in the their universities based in Gainesville, Florida. Yeah. So that's North Central Florida, redneck territory. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of on the far eastern end of what's called the Redneck Riviera. Yeah, yeah. The Redneck yeah. Riviera, basically, if you're familiar with Florida, look at a map. If you're not. It's um. There's called the Panhandle. The Panhandle 
is uh, basically it goes along the Gulf Coast and it goes east to west. It's very narrow, but very long, like a pencil. Think of it that way. And in the far eastern part is kind of where Redneck Riviera. So it's a lot of like, well, as the name would say, rednecks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then, so my mom, my whole family's from upstate New York. My mom had me, she was quite young, 19, mm. um, was in Florida when she had me. So I stayed there till I was like four. Yeah. Um, father, never, didn't know my father. Um, he basically left when we were born. So yeah, I grew up really poor. Um in New York, upstate New York, outside of Albany, in a mm. city called Schenectady, mm. and Albany. Yeah, yeah, no. I know Albany. <clears throat> State capital. Yeah, because um, Albany's mentioned in the play Hamilton. Yeah, it's well, that a, yeah, yeah, would it be? Well, there's your theater right there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, Albany. <laughs> Albany was was founded by the Dutch in I believe 1686 or 1687. It used to be called Fort Orange. Um, changed name to Albany. Um, and there are Albany's in Auckland, which people call Albany. I just can't call it Albany. because Right. Right. So we're saying it wrong. No, well, you're saying it differently. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> there's a few of those. Hey, there's a few. It's a cool well, one in, there's one in outside of Perth. There's an Albany outside Albany. of Perth. Yep, in WA. Albany, yeah, we do say Albany. Yep. Um, and there's a Perth in upstate New York. So that's the European uh, sort of um, yeah. you know influence. Yeah, so um, moved back to Schenectady when I was like four, just before I started school. Um, yeah, and growing up, I mean, like I said, I, I grew up, I grew up um, quite poor. Was uh, grew up in housing projects, so that's basically like, um, like government housing, state housing. Um, uh, grew up, you know, welfare, and basically, um, if it weren't for my f- love of the weather, I would be a stat i'm sure yeah i have a twin brother i have a younger uh younger brother as well um and even though we grew up poor you know we certainly um had you know the grandparents who were involved my grandparents my mom busted her ass to work and do what she can do but obviously with three kids yeah and single you know if you're making eight nine grand a year u.s you know that's only going to get you so far so that's why we had to live where we had to live yeah um but I was fortunate to have good people around me, and um, and I was fortunate to be blessed with this just fondness of the weather. I've always loved the weather, and since I was – my mother would tell me, look, and I was literally two years old, you know, this is getting – talking about white trash and, you know, redneck. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in a – you know, lived in a trailer, yeah. you know, and we lived in this trailer, and there was like a tornado coming, and she had to – we had to evacuate, and she had to literally rip me from the window and go in the car and, and take off. So even at a very young age, I was just just fixated. She's you know so <clears throat> so I was six years old. I'll tell you a quick story. This yeah, is man. so when I oftentimes people ask me, well, how did you get in the weather and this and that? And so the story I tell, and this is a true story. So I was in first grade. First grade is equivalent to year two, two here yeah. in New Zealand, and um, the teacher would see me staring out the window. What's going on? Is this kid not paying attention? Yeah. But she finally realized I was just looking outside to watch the weather. And so Mrs. Willie came to me and she said, Chris, how would you like to tell the weather every day at lunch? I'll give you a penny. Awesome. Let's do it. Because around the corner from the school was a dairy and yeah. they had like now and laters and all this candy. And yeah. for 10 cents, you know, it's two yeah. weeks, fortnights of work. Bam, I'm in. Yeah. So every day I get up on top of a chair, which you probably can't do because of health and safety today. <laughs> awesome. um, Shout out. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, not that that's a bad thing, but that's just how it was. Yeah, yeah. And so I get in the chair and I tell the weather. I give the forecast. Well, we all have a, you know, 
get a big break. And so it was the end of the year. And at the end of the year, it's very common for students to take an end of the year field trip. So for me, my class, we were going to what's called the Catskill Game Farm. The Catskill Game Farm, um, it's south of Albany, north of New York City, not quite equidistant, certainly closer to Albany. And there's like rides and there's like animals, um, like the name Game Farm would suggest. And I give the forecast and I say it's going to rain. And Mrs. Willie says, oh, my gosh, Chris, we have our big field trip tomorrow. When is it going to rain? Now, I did not want to jeopardize the trip um, not happening at all, potentially being postponed or canceled. So I said, well, Mrs. Willie, it's going to rain right when we leave. So we go on the bus. We go down to Catskill. We go off, get off the bus, go do the rides and the animals. And as God is my witness, we get back on the bus. And I'm not kidding you. I get the bus door shuts, the bus starts to roll, and the raindrops begin to fall. Wow. And Mrs. Willie, I swear to you, comes running down the bus aisle and says, oh my gosh, Chris, you said it was going to rain right when we're... I can't... She she couldn't... Here's a six-year-old kid saying... And I tell you, Brad, before I never had a more accurate forecast since. <laughs> no, but that, that is yeah, a that yeah. is a true story. So that, wow, man. I mean, that you know, my grandfather was in the Navy. He's actually he spent he was in the South Pacific, and he said he he's passed on, but he said he docked in Devonport, docked I, he, in Wellington. Yeah. Um, but um, he was in the Navy, so he was into the weather. So he had barometers and stuff like that. So experiences like that, having good people around you, um, that really I think underpinned. Yeah. Um, and help enable me to get to where I am. So, um, and do you know what? Yeah. I, do you know what's really fascinating about that, Chris? Is that uh, you turned a passion into something you do day in day out yeah. in a, as a career. You know. Yeah. And I mean, yep. I, I know a lot of people are blessed to be able to say that they do the same. Yep. A lot of people are in positions where they just wish they were somewhere else doing something else. Yep. But I just love hearing those stories of, and the fact is too, it wasn't given to you. You know, the fact that you grew up in, 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 in a trailer place and, and, you, and you, you were uh, underprivileged at the time. Um, but it almost sounds to me like an escape for you was the weather. Oh, without question. It was my distraction because, look, and I'm not trying to, how do I say this? I'm not trying to paint a picture of me, you know. Um, of course. But, yeah, but what I'm just trying to, like, because I think back at the... You know, I don't know. Like as you get older, I reflect more. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that's natural. Uh, and you think back. Wise about, one. Yeah. Well, you think back and you're like, how fragile life is, and you're like, jeez, man, that could have went really bad if that didn't happen. And the road or the universe that you would then enter, you know. And so I think back of all the things that could have that could have base I could have fell victim to, and like the place, the area I grew up. I mean, like. I mean, there would be, there'd be this guy. He was he run a scam to get um, coding pills, and he wash it down with vodka and yeah. sleep on the bench, and um, you know, just a lot of domestic violence around. Um, you know, because when you're like for you know, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was, but but I will say I do think um, having been in that situation. Um, I feel like I I can have a bit of an advantage over people who grew up probably more middle class in one aspect, not many. And that is, I think, 
you learn how to really fight for stuff. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, and anybody can fight for something. You don't, I don't think, I don't think economics or socioeconomical sort of status defines if people can fight or not, you know, in terms of perseverance. But I do think, um, it kind of builds that sort of skill and that, and that sort of quality that, um, you need to have. Cause if you don't do it, then mm. it's, you're just not going to cut it, mm. you know? Um, yeah. And do you know what I'm hearing too, is that, I know I've spoken on this podcast to business owners, athletes, um, people that have worked in marketing and successful um, ventures. And it's so easy to be, you know, from the outside looking in to go, man, isn't, you know, yeah, there's an element of luck in everything. I, I believe that. But, you know, look yes, at Chris right. and go, oh, man, he's so lucky. He's got this job. He's got his dream job. He's doing this. He's been able to travel when he's, you know, visit yeah. overseas. Yep. You know, and look, it is cool to think that way. But at the same time, You've worked hard for that. Everyone works hard. In, you got to put your, yeah, look, um, there's an old expression. Um, luck, the definition of luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. You know, yeah. even the best form of luck, which is winning the lottery. Yeah. You got to do your part. You got to buy the, you got to buy the flipping ticket. <laughs> so I feel like that quote's been in multiple uh, sports films, mate. <laughs> you know? Has it really? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Well, it's true, man. It totally is true. So, yeah, look, I, I certainly had to do the work, but I, like, I, 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 I basically failed out of uni. I was, I, t- I had the misfortune of having, um, having chosen the probably the hardest, most difficult major on campus, which was meteorology. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. And loving to have a good time, not and and not having any real look. And it's not a slam I'm on an or an indictment against anybody, but like having grown up where I grew up, I certainly lacked a certain structure. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know. I basically got in. Um, I'm not. Um, so there's kind of an infer- affirmative action programs. I'm not sure if that means anything here. What affirmative action is. So basically, yeah. um, is this- it like I. ILP plans where it's like you there's systems put in place if you're struggling you're on the right track okay. so basically um, in the US there's a, these things affirmative action programs where minorities or people who are upper underrepresented traditionally basically you're not a white person yeah um, you know you the, the help them to help reduce barriers and to help of course kind of so there's programs so I was able to take advantage of one so I wouldn't have gotten into it. Like when I think back, I just think back what a lucky SOB I was. Yeah. I mean, I think back like I was, my grades were not up to par. I had a really, I was driven, but just had bad like academic habits. Yeah. But I was able to get into uni because there's this program called the EOP program, Education Opportunity Program. And basically it's for people, you had to have, it was means tested. So you had to be below a certain income threshold. And basically you had to, um, you had to show some, you know, at least some potential, you know, they're not just letting anybody in of of course, but it's some potential. And so people who are underrepresented, a lot lot of minorities. So I was like one of a few handful of white dudes. There wasn't many uh, of that around, which is fine. Mm. Um, But if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have got into uni. Mm. And I remember um, I had had a, a mentor in high school, kind of like, I was in this program for people who are had potential again, but needed some help. And he basically, Mr. Murphy, I think, I think he's, I have, I've tried to find, uh, make contact with him. I can't, I don't know where he is. I hope he's in past time. If you listen to, if you listen to this, Bill Murphy. Yeah, really. And he was just, um, he was instrumental in guiding me and basically, so I had a lot of people helping me and, Mm. 
Yeah, so yeah, I did the work, but I'm telling you, man, it was it yeah. was a lot I'm of I'm glad help. you said that because at the end of the day, you know, um, there's a quote, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, I feel like we've been throwing quotes out there. Well, there'll be um, more. The quote yeah. off. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? It's, it, it, yeah, you, you are a product of your environment, you know. Yeah, uh, man. The amount of, actually, athletes and um, people in business that I've had the privilege of speaking to, uh, the amount of people that have said that the influence of parents or family support or... Uh, you know the community um, that has helped you know very seldom do you hear the story of someone doing everything on their own you know what I mean on their own back yeah Um, so no it's really cool to hear that and if you're listening to this and you're in an area where you you've got a passion you've got something you're trying to venture for uh, have a look about who have a look around at who's around you I would say and who are those support structures who are those people you can lean on and who can there's a there's a, a Stanford University psychologist. I think I'm going to probably screw this up. I think the book is called Grit, and basically, if I irrespective of the title of the book, mm. person wanted to know what quote unquote again using air quotes which you can't see what successful people, what is the common denominator? What makes people is it is it their income? Is it having an advantage in life is it is it um is it where you start off what is it and there's basically two things mm. perseverance and passion mm. that's it the two p's that's it so having basically drive maybe that was the title anyway the, but the more of the story is don't give up persevere and have a passion mm. Mm. yeah yeah you can't yeah oh, i love that i love that and you know what that's the kind of things that me as a teacher now um, yeah, there's been luck along the way and things like that. But as a teacher now, those are the things I'm telling my students. You know? And they need to be told. Yeah. Good on you for doing that because because yeah. a lot of people, they won't hear that. They won't hear that mm. from home. And maybe not because it's on purpose, but maybe because no one knows to say it. Mm. And, you know, case in point, I, I always try and be very careful as, as a teacher and having a podcast um, to protect the um, – protect the um, not identities. What's the word I'm looking for? To respect my 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 kids and my, the school I'm working in and yep. the, and the students in my class to to respect them as people, you know. Yep. So I, I I never I never share too much about school on here. But one thing I will share just around what you're saying is case in point: a kid today, um, as I say, I won't specify anything, but a kid sure. today that I know academically might not be, um, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. But we do dance on a Tuesday, dance afternoons. Um, with an out, outside agency that come in. And this student just was in their zone, eh? Just loving it, passionate about it. And the, I'm in my class in a couple of weeks because it's the end of the term, mate, and so the wheels kind of fall off a little bit, as you sure. know. If you yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we're doing lots of fun stuff. And one of the things I'm getting my class to do is they're going to buddy up and teach the whole class a subject of their choosing for 30 minutes. You know what I mean? So they're, they're the teachers for a week. Nice. <laughs> Good fun. That now is I can take a, I can really... take a back seat. Uh, not really. But um, but it gives them appreciation for what yeah, you have to go through and what it is. Hey, man, teach once, learn twice. Exactly. So they'll know that subject matter. Oh, it's, yeah, it's going to be... There's another quote for you. It's going to be... Yeah, mate, I love it. We should write these down. Um, <laughs> and that kid has decided to do dance as his subject to teach. So, you know, just things like that. That's you know, just wild. Having yeah. a passion. And I reckon, I said to I said to one of my mm. fellow uh, colleagues today, I said, I reckon that young person, if they grew up to be a very successful dancer or somewhere in the music industry or whatever, I would not be surprised because look how passionate they are. Yeah. You know, so I think it is important, Nate. Eh, to- well, it carries it through. Like for me personally, um, 
I said it was the hardest major, and I meant that because, well, at least where I went to uni, I mean, it was 9,000, it was State University of New York, 9,000 students at that particular campus. Um, and it's just calculus and physics, bro. And I, and, you know, I was a bad math student. Yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> and, and it's, and yeah, it was, it was imagine, it was basically being, you know, dis, having dyslexia and wanted to be an English major. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. But there's the ca- case in point. You're passionate. Yeah. Well, it, go for it. I nearly, I nearly, I nearly tapped out. Yeah. Um, the reason I brought up that EOP thing is because the in that program, I just recalled in that the re, there was a reason for that. In that program, there was a gentleman, Greg Aletta. He's passed on too. Um, Parkinson's disease, which um, I believe oftentimes is called Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. And no, that's not Lou Gehrig. It's a different one. Anyway, he he he. Um, I failed out of uni. And I, he, he was an advisor of mine and he, I remember him saying to me one time that he was on this board and this board is responsible for reviewing applications or cases of students who did not meet academic eligibility that in the previous semester, Mm. you know, so there's a semester, then there's a break. Then another, then the spring semester. So basically, you have fall, autumn, and, and spring semester. And I remembered that. And so when I received the news that I would have to be asked to take a semester off, I lost my mind. And I was like, "This can't happen." And he, um, I called him up. He told me what to do. And he, I'm sure he basically made it happen. Oh, he told me he made it happen. And I was able to get back into university without taking required time off wow. to basically get my act together. Yeah. And um, I failed Calc 3, so I was retaking Calculus 3, and I was in his office, and I was basically being, again, a Richard Cranium. And he just just opened up at me. He started cursing at me, telling me to get my hat on my butt, and and basically said he he put his neck on the line for me and not to screw it up. And from that point forward, I, I basically was a much better student. Wow. So it was that tough love that... Um, well, sometimes it's not about what you want to hear. It's, it's what, what you, you need, need to hear. Yeah, right? that's right. You know? Very so, much so, man. Um, oh, I rate that. I really rate that. And we've all got a... What was his name? Greg Oletta. We all need a Greg Oletta in yeah. our lives, mate. You we know? do, man. I think uh, I think if I can achieve one thing in my job as a teacher, it'd be something along those lines. I, and it was all about good teachers, bro. Like, like <laughs> I mean, I talk... And there was one teacher who motivated me. He said in my freshman year of high school, he said... Uh, you won't be a meteorologist. I said, why? He goes, you can't do the math. So that motivated me. Mm. When I graduated, I went and told him I had a degree, and he was shocked because <laughs> the amount of math he had to take was ridiculous. Did you tell him what the weather was happening the next day? No, I, I probably <laughs> told him. I should have told him it was going to be sunny and actually should have been raining. Just to, <laughs> just just, to mess with him. Yeah, man. Can we, um, can we get under the bonnet of this uh, meteorologist car sure. and start to go through the nuts and bolts? Because I'm really curious, eh? Yeah. I think... It's not every day. I know we kind of joke about this in the Hawks basketball team. You know, we always go, ah, mate, (laughs) tell us about the weather today, you know. But it's not actually often that you get to sit down with someone who actually works with the weather. You know, I know it's it's, it's definitely a niche role. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Most people's interaction with weather is obviously experiencing it or whatever the news is telling you, right? That's right. Um, So just from... This is going to be almost like a meteorology for dummies, but it may, I mean, uh, most people listening will probably be in the same. I'm boat, a dummy. I'm a meteorologist. You were perfect <laughs> marriage, bro. Um, but first, like, tell me what. D- 
What does your job entail? And mm. don't tell me it's reading the weather. No, look, it's well, evolved. What, what is that? A job? What is it? You, well, you know, you get into the office. And- it's, it's that sounds. It's a couple of different questions there. One is like, what is a meteorologist's job, and what is my job? So my job. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's so the way to look, I used to be an operational forecaster. So think of it like, um, how, how can I give you? Let me give uh, some kind of analogy. So, like any sort of, I think, person or professional, they start off. Let's say you're. Let's say you start off as a tradie. Yeah. Maybe you're Sparky, you do plumbing, or you, um, you're, you're basically you're, you're a builder. And after a while, you maybe do 10, 20 years of work, you know, doing the hard labor. And maybe you, if the, our organization is large, you become a foreman mm-hmm. or maybe a, a team leader. And you still know how to build and you still maybe occasionally do build, but it's really a hybrid role where you're making sure other people are doing their job. You're enable, you're basically enabling other people to do their job and, and you're working with the client, perhaps the end user to make sure they're happy. You're doing a lot of liaising, whether it's with your crew, whether it's with the customer, whether it's maybe with the bank. So you're wearing a, uh, many different hats and that's not too dissimilar from what I do now. I have gone through, so I graduated in uni. I was 21 in 1996 a month after I graduated uni in June of 1996, I'm doing TV weather. Whoa, how did that happen? Real freaking lucky. So I rolled with that for 10 years. Perth, as you know, a couple years. Back to uh, Syracuse uh, for four years. So I, you know, so before I came to New Zealand, I had roughly 18 years professional experience. So I'd been doing that for a while, and so I did do kind of day-to-day stuff when I first got here, but now I am wearing those multiple hats. I am a team leader. I look after like seven, eight people. Um, not all of them are the meteorologists. Some of them are like Linux specialists. One uh, one person, um, one person's a two people are data scientists. One is a climatologist and a data scientist. One's a you know so yeah. there's a wide range. So they're all in the science field, and I do I still do forecasting. I still do some presenting. Um, a lot of my role is with media actually. So given my background in the states, one of the things I do is I I basically front. Um, a lot of media interviews via RNZ or whether it's TVNZ or TV3 or NewSub or Stuff or NZME, The Herald or whatever the case is. So that's something I enjoy doing. I actually, I really enjoy doing. It took a while to get used to because I was always used to kind of like you asking the questions yeah. as opposed to answering the questions. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that took some time because I was always on the other end. But anyway, my role now is really it's a mixed role of leadership role. I really want to enable people to be the best version of their, of themselves. How can I support them? Basically, what can I do to be, so you can be the best version of yourself. So that is a big role, a big part of my, my role, I should say. And then I do the media stuff and then we do some forecasting or I do some forecasting. So today, for example, we have, we have partners. So one of our partners, we supply department of conservation doc, um, fire and emergency, New Zealand fens, so we supply them with forecasts. So we're their supplier. So if they need a like, a, it's a twenty four seven service. So I'm not on call, yeah. but I have been on call playing basketball too. That's so. Um, if if you see my check in my phone every time I'm going up for a bit of a breather, You're not looking at your stats. I'm just, no, no. <laughs> those are quick to look at. A lot of goose eggs there. So 
I'm just making sure, you know, everything's good. I haven't missed a call or that sort of thing. So 24-7 service, they can call you 2 o'clock in the morning if they need a forecast, and we basically have to um, provide that service. So we do other things, not just spot forecasts, but they're, um, they're main, there are big suppliers. We're big suppliers for them, I should say. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, also, uh, we did America's Cup, so we were the supplier for – Currents and weather information for Emirates Team New Zealand. Yeah. So we like to think we were part of their um, success when they won the cup, uh, defended the cup oh, successfully. You were part of it, mate. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Huge. And I was able to do so. TV instead had coverage of America's Cup before every match, and I was able to go on and, and present weather. Um, so that was really cool. Um, I enjoy doing that. But yeah, my role now is is as a lot of it is being an enabler and, and yeah i really i really like because it's kind of switched for you you know you've turned from um just gonna shut that yeah man um you you've turned from being on the front line which you still are um to yeah to supporting a team around you and under you and all i really find and i'll be honest not to be cheesy i really find that satisfying because i feel like um everyone needs to have a person that can help them or, or be, you know, and, and if I can be a small part of that yeah, and, yeah. and be a part of their, their professional journey. And I think that's really good. I really, I get, I get a lot of kicks of seeing people do well. Yeah. I don't have the scarce. I try, I try not to have the scarcity mentality, more the abundance mentality, meaning yeah. that there's enough for everyone to go around. Yeah. So let's, 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 I'm um, keen to ask you some basics go from, for from, from a, from a person who, 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 from the average listener listening to this interview, mm-hmm. um, well, not interview, chat. It's not an interview. Hey, it's so different to an interview. Um, like, for for example, right now, yeah. I'm on my phone. Yep. I'm on the weather app. Yep. yep. It says here, 9 p.m., 15 degrees. Now, we can work that out, obviously. Uh, and it says here there's 80% rain. This is the basic one. This is, I mean, I don't know which company give it the Apple, the, yep. maybe it's just Apple weather. I don't know. Yep. But what... Is that telling me? Is that telling me there's an eighty percent chance it's going to rain, mm-hmm. or the area? That's, the area. No, you're no, in? no. So basically, science is a probabilistic world. Mm. You know what that means? Probabilistic. Yeah. You're dealing with odds. Yeah. Yep. But we live in a deterministic world. Yep. So another way to put it, science is the light dimmer, that circle where you can have any range of brightness, basically. Mm. But we don't live in that world. We live in a light switch world, binary. It's either on or off. Is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? Yeah, because as humans, we just want to make plans. We, we want to make- do this and that. But unfortunately, it's not like that. So what that is saying, 80% chance of rain. All that simply is saying is that, look, if these weather conditions that are being predicted were to repeat themselves 10 times, 8 out of those 10 times, it would produce rain. Right. In fact, if we were to produce these, synthesize these weather conditions 10 times, we would expect that two out of 10 times it would not rain. Hmm. So when it doesn't rain and there's an 80% chance of rain, the forecast really isn't wrong. Hmm. It's just that, well, that was unfortunately the odds went against your way. It's like when a team has an upset victory. If those two teams play 10 times, odds are the better team is going to win you know, the majority of the time, whether that's seven times or 10 times, whatever. Mm. But you don't get 10 goes at it. You get one go. Yeah, yeah. And if you get someone on the right night, the stars line up, whatever. We're living proof, mate. Semi-finals. Yeah, well, this is it. <laughs> this is it, Bradley. So you know what I'm saying? So yeah. 
That is all that means. So when you see that there is a 40% chance in the weather world and climate world anyway, there's a 60%. Uh, all that means is that, look, if this were to happen 100 times, we would expect 60 times, for example, that you'd get this result. But 40 times, you'd get the other result mm. or and, whatever and, that is. And I know you, you, a, a lot of what you do is you work with data and yes. you work with um, – you, you, you models with, whether you're modeling what are you modeling off you're modeling for example the, yep. for example go for it i mean please you're the expert so i don't know but in three days time the weather that is there is gonna happen isn't here right now no do you know what i mean so it's not like this rain right now as we record this it's been raining yes it's the rain the whole time you brought it with you it's the one i did <laughs> it's the one time it's, it's rained this week this rain isn't now going to slowly move on to Australia and then move on to all around the world and rotate around. It's going to dissipate and it's going to be gone. Am I wrong there? No, you're not wrong. It'll just, it'll evolve. Yeah. But what I'm saying is this right now wasn't in the Earth's atmosphere five days ago. It was. It would have been farther upstream. So this... Okay, so so yeah. I am wrong here. So the, look, the atmosphere is a fluid, right? Right. The definition of a fluid mm. is a very simple one. All that means is it flows. <laughs> Water flows, air flows, it's a fluid. When I went to uni, I took a crap ton of fluid dynamics. Right. How does a fluid behave when you heat it, when you cool it, when you stretch it, when you accelerate it, when you decelerate it? Those are the laws of physics. The only difference between air and water, which are both fluids, is that, well, the main difference is that water is not compressible. You can compress air. You can't compress water. Mm. Temperature and air are related in pressure. There's this chemistry equation. PV equals RT. Mm. Pressure, volume, equal to temperature, and C is a constant. So you can basically, the atmosphere responds to the temperature in various ways. It affects the pressure. So what we do is that we're able to observe the atmosphere through Airplanes, when airplanes fly, your commercial airplanes, they're taking sampling data. Actually, it's weather satellites that have really given us a big leap in our ability to more accurately predict the weather one, two, three, eight, nine days out with some accuracy, right? And it's also climate stations, a thermometer, a barometer, an anemometer, which measures wind. All that is what's called data assimilation. Mm. So data assimilation basically is your starting point. Just like when they have the modelers for COVID, right? It's the same flipping thing. Mm. Not entirely, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's you're taking data, observations from the wastewater. You're taking observations from actual nose swabs. And you're saying, okay, let's put these conditions in this environment. And how does the virus spread? How does it behave? And what they're doing, they're coming up with all these different scenarios. And they're trying to understand what is the worst case scenario? What is the... Uh, most likely scenario and what's the best case scenario and everything in between Mm -hmm. that's the spectrum right yeah and so what they're able to do is communicate a range of outcomes and that's called ensemble forecasting ensemble forecasting basically says look because when using that covid analogy again when they have these models like sean hendy who actually met one time (laughs) that's a separate discussion he's a cool dude (laughs) real smart guy man so what they're doing, you're taking the information like wastewater, you know, for the virus and swabs, but that information isn't 100% correct. So it's the same thing with what we call data assimilation. That is information taken from weather satellites, 
information taken from ships, information from the airlines, all that gets put in, data assimilation. Into what metric? Into a, to a model. Yeah. Okay. Just like with COVID, they take the information, they put it into a model, yeah. and they see how... And it's a, maybe it's a model of people's behavior. I, I don't really know how yeah. the COVID modeling or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or vi- epidemiology modeling yeah. works. So what that does is that with weather and, and meteorology, you're able to take all that information in and you're able to see, okay, what is the outcome when we start from this point? I've given you the temperature of the seas. I've given you this, that, and the other thing. Now tell me, I'm going to give you the rules of the atmosphere. And just like there are rules in your house or rules in your classroom, there are rules of the atmosphere. They're the law, nat- natural rules, physics. And then we can say, okay, let's see how this cold air moves. Let's see how the warm air, warm air behaves. Where does this low go? Where does the high go? Where does this go and that go? But what we can do that's called a deterministic forecast. Deterministic forecast is you get one go. You get one outcome. You get one scenario, okay? It's either going to rain or not going to rain, kind of that binary. But with ensemble forecasting, we can say, well, what if the starting conditions were actually more like this and not like that? Very similar to the COVID modeling where they say, well, that's how they come up with a best case scenario, a worst case scenario, and the most likely scenario is that they're they're tweaking the starting conditions, mm. what we call the initial conditions. Mm. And it's the same thing with weather. Yeah. What we do is we can tweak those initial conditions. We can also tweak the rules of the atmosphere, the physics, the under the hood stuff. Mm. And then we can see when you make those changes at the very beginning, what we call T0, time zero, how do those changes express themselves in the physical world in terms of where a storm goes or where good weather goes or where cold weather goes or hot weather goes? How does that manifest itself? How does that evolve from T0 all the way out to T168, yeah. seven, eight days away? Yeah. And what you can do is you can have all those what we call members and you can see where are the similarities, where are the dissimilarities. And basically, you're able to assemble a probabilistic forecast or an 80% chance of rain. On the back of that, my two questions would be, how long is that process? That yep. And how many people are involved in that process? So these are international agencies that do right. that. So okay. at NIWA, we are partners what's called the um, UM, Unified Model, based in the UK. So the UK Met Office. And the unified model is a global model. So models can be global, which means they cover the entire globe, or they can be regional, which means they just cover a section of the globe, maybe Europe. For New Zealand, we have what's called the New Zealand convective scale model. It's a model that basically is a cutout square that goes offshore a bit to the north and to the south. But that model can only exist because it needs something to what we call spin it up. So we need the unified model to basically help kind of seed that model, if that makes sense. And then we can see basically in great detail what our weather is. So it takes, we have three supercomputers at NIWA, three supercomputers when they, we we were purchased four years ago at the time. They're, it's one of the top in terms of speed in the Southern hemisphere. That's changed because as soon as you buy it, it gets old. You know what I mean? (laughs) In that world. But that allows us to do high-resolution modeling. Models typically are updated once every six hours. Yeah. Um, they can take about a couple hours to basically what we call run or, or basically produce a forecast. Um, depends how long the forecast is. 
look, there's a, I don't want to get, I'll go into the weeds a bit so you can maybe edit this or tell me to keep quiet. But with with modeling, um, a lot of it depends on detail and what we call resolution. So resolution is, um, you got your standard TV, then you got your 720, then you got your 1080. This makes makes sense. And then you got, um, you got 4k, then you got 8k, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that is is the number of pixels, right? You got, you're having more pixels. And with more pixels, you're able to get more detail. You're able to express more detail. With modeling, it's the same thing. With modeling, what we do, if you can imagine, new, picture New Zealand if you're listening to this, or maybe look at a map online, and you can see the two islands, North and South Island. You can see the Tasman Sea to the left and the Pacific Ocean to the right. And imagine carving out a rectangle around that. And now what you do is you divide that rectangle into equal parts, okay? And the smaller those parts are, the higher the resolution. Just like the smaller the parts on your TV, you're going from 1080 to 4K to 8K, the better the resolution, the more detail. Why is that important? Because in New Zealand, we have a complex terrain. Have you heard of the Ruhines? Have you heard of the Kaimais, the Central Plateau? Maybe even... Um, the ranges in Northland, certainly the Southern Alps, and to resolve that very complex and very changeable terrain, very variable terrain, you need something that's that small pieces. Because if anything in that pixel or that grid, in our case, when you so that forecast that you show me on your phone, yeah. I'm guessing you a beer and a steak dinner. That came from the GFS model or the EC model. Right. Those are global models. Those are great models. They're awesome. But the resolution is around 9, 10 kilometers. So that yeah. means the square, the grid is 9 or – it's pretty – well, by global – but what happens, if you make that even smaller, which eventually requires more computational power. So, But in New Zealand, we can run our model – at 1.5 kilometers, but we can do that because it's only a box over New Zealand. It's not the whole flipping world. Yeah, true. Okay, true. So, and we run that out for two days and 30-minute time steps. So every 30 minutes, a forecast is produced. And the reason, so at 1,500 meters, Brad, you're able to more accurately, not even then, but more accurately resolve the complex terrain. For example, Mount Teranaki, a global model, the GFS, Mount Teranaki is like 2,300 meters, I think, in elevation. Well, because everything in that square is smooth and average, it thinks it's a pimple. It thinks it's basically, I think it's like 900 meters or 1,000 meters. That's wrong. Now, and the more, and the finer you get or the higher resolution you get, the more accurate that topography. And that's important because we want to see the Southern Alps because there's a big fluid hitting the Alps. That's called the atmosphere. So when westerlies come off the Tasman, hit Westport, Hokitika, Haast, Franz Joseph, or Arthur's Pass, that air is forced to rise up 3,000 meters, out Rocky Mount Cook. And then when that air is forced to rise up, it cools, condenses. It's like your hand squeezing a sponge. It rings that moisture out. These are the laws of physics. Yeah. But when the air descends on the other side of the mountains, Canterbury, eastern Otago, that's flat, it's warm, it's the fern wind, it's downslope. And that's why it's typically with westerlies, it's warm and dry in Canterbury, wet and not so dry 
on the east or beg your pardon, on the west side of the ranges. But you need a model that is able to more accurately resolve that very changeable terrain. Otherwise, you're not going to accurately resolve how the fluid is going to behave that when it hits so that. So it gives you more detail. It doesn't mean it's going to be always right. No. On the days it's wrong, it just means you see crappy weather forecasts in high detail. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So that's so interesting, man. I mean, I hope I hope people listening to that are able to capture that because it's actually, I feel like we underestimate. I know this is this is I'm just super serious, super stereotyping this here. Yeah, yeah. But we underestimate the ten minute slot at the end of the news that old mate gets up and yeah, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But weather is and that's fine. But it happens, I think, with a lot of professions. Oh, absolutely. But the the amount of of work and detail in that process alone you just described is. Would you say that in your career you've seen uh, with technological advancement just you've seen differences in forecasting to oh, the 100%. point where yeah. now to, compared to where you started, it's completely different. Uh, when I ensemble forecasting, when I first started, was just in its, literally in its in, like it was a zygote. It was yeah. just the beginning, and um, and that has really changed things because we're able to look. If I tell you, for example. It's going to be three degrees tomorrow morning, right? You're going to be like, oh, wow, I'll, I'll wear a jacket. <laughs> there might be a little bit of frost in the windshield. Mm. But if I tell a farmer it's going to be three degrees, and I say to the farmer, look, there's a 40% chance it could be one degree, and there's a 20% chance it could be zero. The farmer who's concerned about frost is probably going to respond differently now that they know that, oh, wait, I actually do have some risk of of getting a frost. I know that it is very possible, 20% chance, that it will get to zero. In reality, frost can form when it's not zero because yeah. frost forms at the ground, not at the screen two meters above the ground. Yeah. But that's a different conversation. But nonetheless, the farmer will make different decisions because he or she is able to understand or my wife is like, just tell me if it's going to be. So we have to know who our audience is and the role of a forecaster. Yeah, true. If you, if you were to, if your wife were to say, what's the weather doing? You know, you're not going to dive into a 10 minute. No, you can't. Often I remember I had a news director, head of news and I was in TV. He used to say, Chris, People will believe you because you're on TV. You don't have to tell them why it's going to rain. <laughs> yeah, true. So that's a good way to look at it. Um, do, explain this to me. I come from Fongamata, yeah? Yeah. As you know. Beautiful place. About, yeah, love, love that place. place. But nine times out of ten, from my memory, if I'm waking up at you know 8 a.m., if I'm lucky, that's, that'd be a good sleep at night, 7 a.m., and it's sunny, I can almost guarantee you at five, it's sunny all day, 5 p.m. If there's not a cloud in the sky now, we're good. But not always, but from my memory, that's how it felt like. Okay. Comparing it to Auckland... I've never lived in a place with such volatile weather patterns where it's yeah. sunny, raining, sunny, raining, sunny, raining. What's what's at play there? Yeah. Is, this, is this, you know? Well, part of it is the Coromandel um, provides you more stability. So when you do have a westerly wind, which more times than not you will, because our weather generally comes from the west, not always. Well, that you, it's basically what happens in the South Island. The ranges in the Coromandel, think of them like, like a mini Southern Alps. Yeah. Okay. So if you've been the Coromandel and you gotta, um, you gotta go over the, you go through the Coromandel by Thames and you take that left at the roundabout. Now, you go over some pretty high terrain and when you descend, you're at the beach. When you get a west wind, it's gonna be pretty sunny there. Mm. 
the Coromandel, the ranges to the west will chew up a lot of that moisture. Yeah. Auckland, we're, we're an isthmus. We're surrounded by water. Yeah. We don't have that. We have the Waitakere's out to the west, the Waitaks, and you get a little bit of downsloping, but it's, it's, a, it's a different sort of setup. And with westerly winds and Funga Mata, you'll have more... I guess more predictable, right. more less changeable yeah. conditions. It was a culture shock, I tell you. When I first moved up here, I was like, "What is going on?" It's a windy place too, Auckland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know, but it's hot. I feel like the heat in Auckland too. Does it it's get more tra- humid? It's yeah. warmer. It's well, I think the humidity you probably notice more. The humidity definitely. Um, I remember my first summer up here. I was, I was struggling. <laughs> you know what I find funny is um when I have colleagues come up from Wellington. Yeah. Because we have we have offices around the country, and um, nine out of ten times, man, it's humid up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're kidding me. Classic. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And I'm like, oh my. And they just can't handle it. Like they're not used to it. But you know, then I tune in, and you, I know that. So we we talk in terms of temperature. We talk in Celsius here in New Zealand. Yes. Whereas obviously a lot of places around the world we're talking Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yes. I've, oh, I just wanted to clear this up. When people say in Arizona or Nevada or yeah. Even LA and Texas yeah. and all these places in the states, when they say, "Man, it's fifty degrees today," what are they saying? Are they saying it's fifty degrees Celsius? No, nah, fifty degrees is ten Celsius, fifty Fahrenheit. Right. So fifty Fahrenheit's ten Celsius, a hundred Fahrenheit's thirty-eight Celsius. Okay, so when they're saying it's fifty degrees, yeah, they're. I would presume they're talking Fahrenheit in the states. Certainly, no one's don't no unless you're a meteorologist, you're not working in Celsius. Mm. So why is it? That in New Zealand, we'll get a high here of, say, what, 28? Yeah. Oh, if you're really lucky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do we ever hit 30 now? Yeah, yeah. No, the highest temperature ever recorded was in um, in eastern, um, in Canterbury. I believe, I should know this. I'm going to, I'm having a, um, don't <laughs> hey, maybe mate. cut this out. But uh, Rangiora, that's what it yeah, is. I yeah. think 42.4, 1973, February. Wow. So, we, it does, the, we can get quite hot, but it's typically... For the South Island, it'll be Canterbury or Inland Otago. Uh, for the North Island, it'll be Gisborne, Hawke's Bay. Yeah. Those are the hot spots. And are we, when we're talking temperature, are we talking in terms of our location, proximity to the poles and the equator in terms of heat? <clears throat> now, we're, we're basically, look, if you just park those two areas I spoke of, east and uh, east of the South, east of the North Island, you're right. It doesn't get that. And the reason is we got a moat around us. Yeah. The ocean is, is, a, is a real stabilizer with temperature. <laughs> It um doesn't get too cold. No. Kind of so it mutes the extremes in terms of temperature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas so that's basically we why. would be somewhere you would say you get the extremes because of its location. Oh, man. Example. Brad, I was I was in I grew up in upstate New York, so we're talking forty four degrees, forty three degrees north latitude. So basically like Invercargill, okay? Yeah. And your hottest days in the summer, thirty eight. Humidity like like you wouldn't believe <laughs> your coldest day in the winter maximum temperature minus 15 minus 17 maximum so there so that's because See, it's I'm a, going to Europe at that time of year mate dude <laughs> I'm worried it's it's Christmas it's, in Prague it's a um it's a continent in a continents will cool more it's a continental air mass so they'll warm and cool more quickly mm. than the ocean mm. I know <clears throat> I know for me this is fascinating, and for most people listening, they would agree. For you, you probably think, "Man, this is just work chat. This is boring." No, I, I love. I, I, I still have the the bug, so I love good. fucking weather and. Good. Well, tell me then, 
Red Red Sky at night. Sailor's, Shepherd's delight. S- Shepherd or sailor. Okay. Yep. Red Sky in the morning. Sailor's warning. Is yeah. that is that just a, a wives' tale? No, nah, there's that, some truth to that. What's Typical, that all about? Well, it goes back to weather typically coming from the west. Right. Um, sun rises in the east, and if you had red sky in the morning. What's going to happen, you're probably going to have some mid and high cloud coming in. Usually mid and high cloud is a precursor to, um, to more meaningful weather. So think of it like, uh, you know, if, if you're into music, think of it like a crescendo. But it's starting from the top, you got your, your layering. You got your high cloud, then the cloud lowers to mid cloud, then the cloud lowers to, say, lower cloud, and then eventually starts to precipitate. So mm-hmm. if you see that red sky in the morning... What you're seeing is from scattering of light due to ice crystals in the atmosphere. The reason we get a rainbow or a pretty color is because mm-hmm. of scattering. Light gets yeah. scattered or bent. Yeah. And depending on how much it gets bent is the wavelength. That's a certain color. Yeah, so with red sky in the morning, basically, um, that means there's some high cloud approaching from the west, which means there's more to come, basically, because weather yeah. comes in the west. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's pretty basic. Yeah, it doesn't work all the time, but it, I mean, there's a reason that expression holds a bit of water. And you know, it probably goes back to those days. You know, when you, yeah, you know, you're not on your boats charting your way around the 1800s, thinking, all right, I'm gonna or get checking me. it on your app. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, look, mate, I know, I, I know, because we've got basketball soon. But I want to, I want to wrap up, I guess, the meteorology side of things with this question because sure. I know that. When I've told people that I'm getting you on, this is one of the questions that comes to the lips. And I know I've asked you this actually before um, at basketball. I think I asked you this once. The, one of the biggest, hottest topics, no pun intended here, climate change. Yes. Global warming. Yes. And I know there are people that are naysayers, people that are all for it. And I mean, I'm not trying to turn this into a conspiracy thing here. No, no. But what I want to know is from a, from a professional, from a meteorologist who works with weather and climate, what's... What is really going on, mate? What's the state of our kind of, not nation, our earth, our planet? Is it redeemable, reversible? Is it as bad as they say? Mm. Like, I know that's quite a loaded topic there, but if you could sift through that. Yeah, definitely. And and, um, so for starters, I'm definitely not a climate change expert. Yeah. Um, To give you an analogy, um, you know, I'm, uh, think of me like uh, if I were a cardiologist, I wouldn't be know much about neuroscience about the brain. I know a little bit, um, but not you know not an expert. Um, that said, uh, look, climate change is legit. Um, let me put that out there. I mean, people were like, well, it's, uh, you know, it was cold. We had that snow in October. <laughs> what about that? Yeah. yeah. Look, weather is the tree. Climate is the forest. Okay. You're not going to look at one tree and make that indicative of the whole forest unless the whole forest was like that mm. or the majority of the forest. Mm. So climate change is legit. I, I've never confessed this before. I um, was on the fence up until about 15 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. It was that my pivot point was in Australia when um, – I opened my eyes a bit and, and, and kind of started uh, educating myself a bit more. And I came back to the States and I was a different person than when I had arrived or left the States, I should say. And that was only a two-year period. Mm. Look, climate change doesn't make bad weather events. Just like grass will grow by itself. But if you throw on fertilizer, guess what happens? Yeah. It overcomes a lot of stuff and it grows faster. It's, it's an enhancer. Yeah. So 
what climate change does, very simply, it makes an, an, um, an extreme weather event more likely, it makes it more intense, and more frequent. So likely, intensity, frequency. Hmm. Imagine this. You have a thermostat at your house, which controls, let's say, if some central heating. And let's say that thermostat every year goes up a tenth of a degree Celsius. Seems like nothing, right? But every year in the background, that thermostat is going up a tenth of a degree. After a decade, it's one degree. Hmm. After two decades, it's two degrees. It's And... So that can control the temperature. Let's say you, and that's going up and up very slowly. So if you open your windows or turn on the oven, that will also control the temperature of the house, won't it? Yeah. But what happens is that in about 20 or 30 years, after going up a tenth of a degree every year, when you open the windows, it doesn't get as cool as it used to, does it? Mm. And when you turn the oven on, it's even hotter. That's climate change. Wow. Climate change for most people, as uh, my colleague, Dr. Sam Dean said so well, for most people, climate change will be noticed through the extremes. If, and now this is not a pure analogy, but if you're, let's say, a basketball player Mm. and you average 20 points a game, and let's say there's another basketball player that averages 35 points a game, like a baller the extremes or the kind of like had a really good game performance for the guy who scores 20 points, it's probably going to be what? 36, 37, 39 points. But for the guy who averages 35 points, his going off game where he just balls going to be 52, 57. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So it's those extremes because the averages are creeping up in the background. Those extremes become even, and they become even more noticeable. It's called the boiled frog um, theory, where right. you put a frog in a pot of water that's at room temperature, and then you turn the heat on. Frog doesn't really notice it until it's too late. Oh my God, it's, that's it, brother. Wow, and that's and I, I feel like that's a really good analogy, Chris. And I feel like. A lot of us here in New Zealand, I know we've got listeners that listen from all over the world on this podcast, but to our New Zealand listeners and myself included, being, and me and you being Kiwis, um, we kind of think, oh, we're all right. We're all right over here. She'll be right. She'll be right. But we're so no, far away. <laughs> we're so far away. We don't nah. get hurricanes and we don't get these nah. extremes. You do. But, we do. Um, and and it's with so it's it's with temperature it's with drought so the the other thing that will happen with climate change is what I call binge rainfall so we're all familiar with Disney Plus and Netflix and TV <laughs> so you can like a new epi, a new season of I like Ozarks love Ozarks I just finished it dude awesome oh. right so you can do one of two th- well you have options the two extreme options. On one side of the equation, you can be like, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to open some beer, and I'm finishing this whole season tonight, or maybe in two nights, whatever. <laughs> yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, you're like, you know what? I'm going to watch an episode a week, like old school, yeah. and I'm going to play this out over 10 weeks. Yeah. Okay? It's the same amount of TV, but you're just either compressing it into two nights or 10 weeks. That's binge watching if you do... The latter, which is, or the former, I should say, which is two nights. Same thing with precipitation. With climate change in 50 years, in 30 years, in 70 years, or whatever, 
what happens is that, yes, some places will get more rain over a year. And yes, some places will get less rain over a year. But what will really change is the distribution. Right. That is a lot of rain. We just watched Ozarks in two nights, baby. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a lot of nothing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But don't replace Ozarks with rainfall. Yeah, yeah. That is well, part of climate change. Yeah. And when you're a farmer, your your water is from a water tank. Uh, you're not in town water. You're in the rural area. These are huge problems because when you are trying to, uh, whether you're trying to, uh, you know, we have grow crops or whether you're trying to keep your land from sliding down because it's gotten so wet because of slips and landslides things like that so that is what climate change will do and that's a really good analogy there chris um i guess i guess my last question on that then is is it reversible um and look if you need to paint the doom and gloom picture uh, the short yeah the short answer is i don't know right i will say that i love as you said that the rain in our roof just got louder yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's someone upstairs telling me, shut up. <laughs> um, um, we've already built in. Look, we could turn off the methane and the carbon dioxide gas now if there was a magic way of doing it. But unfortunately, it's already built in. We're on a track where we're guaranteed certain results. Like It's, it's like this, man. If it's raining like it is now, let's say it's hosing down, and let's say, God forbid, it's flooding, right? Well, the rain could stop immediately, but the effects of the flooding continue. Yeah. Just like, you know, the waters don't recede immediately. They may actually still rise for a bit before they start coming down. It's, it's kind same of the thing. same idea, man. We're, we've already guaranteed ourselves certain sea level rise. We've guaranteed ourselves certain temperature rise. And the thing with temperature is that the higher the temperature is, the more likely water is like the more likely water is going to be in its vapor state. Yeah, yeah. Water vapor is fuel for rain. Yeah, yeah. More water vapor you have, the more rain, rain you get. Yeah. So we could take. So this this rain that's falling tonight, if we popped into a time machine and we hit 2090, yeah. and we took the same natural weather conditions that are producing the rain tonight, but we plopped it in the 2090 atmosphere, it's going to produce even more rain. Right. Just be simply because there'll be more water vapor. Yeah. Wow. It's a science, man. It's a real science, and I just want to. Um, say chris man i really appreciate you sharing that with us because it's my pleasure it's, man uh, it's really interesting stuff hey. I, I i've um yeah i'm i'm my my wife you know sometimes she'll say she'll take second second um be second fiddler to the weather you know yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm yeah so yeah, i enjoy but, talking about it so it's my pleasure um chris one of the ways because mate i understand we've got tip off in about 30 minutes it's quarter to nine now. holy smokes time flies and you're having fun yeah right uh is i always in we always end our show with with a, a question there and about similar thing and that is for anyone listening to this that um, it doesn't have to be meteorology but it could be you know uh, people that want to get into weather that want to get into forecasting or just anything mate they want to be sparkies they want to be and I feel like mate this conversation has gone everywhere we've gone we've talked about your upbringing and thanks for sharing that with us you've talked uh, we've talked sport we've talked all sorts what is your kind of, and maybe you've already answered this earlier, but what would you say to someone, doesn't have to be a young buck, could be someone in, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, that wants to give something a crack, what would, where would you, what would you point them? What would you say? Goal, if you had to have a gold nugget, I know it's quite a pressure question, but. Oh, look, I think, you know, I, what I try to tell my kids is obviously find their passion and I should do it more. Um, but also what you're good at. 
you know, um, the, you know, if if you can find that sweet spot where something you enjoy doing um, and something you're good at, I think that's the golden ticket right there. Um, I think ultimately you have to live your life for yourself. Um, you know, um, you, you know, you can't you can't live you can't make decisions based on what other people think. Generally, I mean, obviously, like if you have a spouse and kids, yeah, that's one thing. That's context, yeah. But like, you got to do what's best for you. And um, I, I was told that a while ago when I was growing up. I mean, you know, support your wife and your family and, you know, I think, and, and just try to be the best person you can and not to be cheesy, but, you know, when you look in the mirror the last time before you lay down for the last time in your life, you want to look in the mirror and say, you know, I did, I gave it my best and I wasn't perfect, but at least I was, you know, yeah. I, I did my best and I was honest about it and I wasn't a jerk. Yeah. And I think if you can do that, I mean, it's all you can ask for. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I wish it was a bit more poetic, but you know that's mate, that's, yeah. as poetic as, that's as poetic as it gets. Uh, mate, I've appreciated it. Thanks for coming over the log cabin here in Glenfield. It's great. And I don't know if this is a if, if this is going to be a um, a sour note to end on or not. Okay, this is really could be risky ground here. Go for it. I'm opening my fantasy app, and I said to you in the car park yeah. last week. Oh man, that I hopefully I'll see you on four and five, and you said I hopefully I wouldn't see you on four or five, four and five. My side of the story. I played Kevin today. I had Kevin. I had Joe Mixon in my lineup. Oh, he went off. Five TDs. 60-something yeah. points. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I am now four oh, and five, man. which gives me... Bro. I hand it over to you. Yeah, well, my, my guy had flipping uh, Field Yates as quarterback. Oh. And, he, and he had New, New England's defense. Between New England's defense... That's got 26 points on defense. 24. Well, we oh. use CBS. Okay, yeah. So 24 points. Field Yates had 61 and three quarters, I think. So collectively, that was 85 points with just two, we'll call them players. Um, I Sorry, had against you or with against you? me. Ooh. So Ooh, okay, he, he, I was up there. against the guy who dropped 190 points in the league. Um, and I, I had a respectable 127 and I got smoked. Now, I should mention, <laughs> I should mention six of my players, five or six run. I had, this is a lot of people are on buys. Who'd you have on buy? I had CMC uh, on buy. I, I had, I, I had, had CD uh, Lamb on buy. Okay. So I had Tony Pollard, right? I had, um, uh, oh, the wide receiver. I'm having a brain freeze. Um, team, team. Cowboys. Um, CD Lamb? No, no, no. Oh, gosh. Terrible podcast material here. <laughs> um, so, okay, that... I just know it's not a Mario Cooper. Sa Saquon Barkley I had as well, gone. Uh, Debo Sanimal, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's so... Yeah, so these guys oh, are like a huge amount of points on the pine. Well, see, I took a gamble and I started... This is a riveting chat for anyone that does not know what I'm talking about here. But um, I, I was going to trade Mixon this week. I, I actually... Kevin, you know if what? you're listening, Kevin Lynch... The the fantasy football gods have looked down on me because I didn't trade him. You, I mean, his stock might be high. You might be able to get a good haul for that. Well, cut, wait, we'll cut this bit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want anyone to know my strategy. You're right. I think I will go for a big trade. Sell high, man, because yeah. he just had five TDs. Oh. So if you, do you have any gaps? Unreal. Hey, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me on the show. Um, I hope you've thanks, enjoyed Brad. yourself. I've enjoyed fun. it, man. Um, thank you, and um, I'd love to come on again if there's an opportunity. Hundred percent. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Hoop it up, eh? Yeah. Thank you.